A number of years ago, while Dawn and I and our family were living in Michigan, I had an opportunity to go to what was at that time my bucket list concert. The one concert that I wanted to go to while I was still alive. I got to go with Dawn to see this little Irish group by the name of U2. And just in case you haven't heard of U2, what is wrong with you? I have it on high authority that this is God's second favorite rock band of all time. So we made the 40-mile drive from our home in Alma, Michigan to East Lansing, where the concert was being held. We parked our car. We noted that people were moving toward the stadium, Michigan State Stadium, like ants moving toward a picnic. And the setting was electric. We made our way into the stadium with all of these people so eager to see this band that we had waited for. And we sat down as a backup band began to play for some time leading up to them. And if I'm being perfectly honest with you, I was impatient. And apparently others were as well because there was a person seated down just a couple of rows in front of us and a little ways off to the side who it appeared had had too much to drink. And this fellow was shouting insults at the backup band. Boo, go home, we're here for you too. And there was a person seated right behind him that went over and put his hand on this fellow's shoulder. And as he turned around, he said, hey man, we're a U2 crowd. We don't do that. And I was happy to see the way it just sort of settled the situation down and, and the shouting at the backup band came to an end. But if I'm being perfectly honest with you, I felt his impatience. We were there for the main act. We'd been watching and watching and watching for the main act. I felt his impatience as we were waiting through the backup band. This morning is the third Sunday in the season of Advent, and for the second Sunday in a row, we're reading a passage of Scripture about John the Baptist. We've been listening to music this morning, and we've been anticipating the celebration of the birth of Jesus. And for the second Sunday in a row, you might feel a little bit like you're watching the backup band waiting for the main, main act. Here's what John said, the Gospel of John said. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to, to testify concerning the light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light, but came only as a witness to the light. I have to be perfectly honest with you, friends. I'm feeling a little bit impatient this morning. For the second Sunday in a row, we're going to look at the ministry of John the Baptist while I want to move on to Jesus. Now, let me be honest with you. I, I have a practice every year of reading through the Gospels very, very slowly. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I read through so slowly that sometimes it takes me an entire year to get through one Gospel. And then I start with the next one and then the next and with, then the next. And when I start reading the Gospels, I am often frustrated and impatient because all four Gospel writers take us to Jesus by way of John the Baptist. And I'm often impatient. I say, come on now. We want to hear more about Jesus. Come on. And if you're wondering why it is that we've read 
passages of Scripture about John the Baptist two Sundays in a row. If you were here last Sunday, you heard the reading from the Gospel of Mark about John the Baptist. Kirk Bookout did a delightful job of, of, of telling the good news that John the Baptist came to, to, to proclaim. That was Mark last week. This week we're in the Gospel of John. And if you're wondering why it is that we're reading two Sundays in a row, it's because there's a group of people who have put together recommendations for readings for churches during this season of the year. And this group of people has suggested that two Sundays in a row, we stop while we're ready to rush to the manger and we sit down and we listen to John. But I'm impatient. I'm impatient. By the way, that doesn't mean that I don't really, really appreciate the ministry of John the Baptist. Oh, it's really, really important. In fact, I would suggest to you that John the Baptist does something that in this world is extraordinarily unusual. He is perhaps unique because John the Baptist just tells the truth. That's what he does. John the Baptist tells the truth about other people. We heard that last week when Kirk brought the passage from Mark chapter 1. Kirk told us about the people who were coming into the Jordean Valley to be baptized, and John's message to them was, repent, you people need to turn around, you need to live differently, you need to confess your faults, you need to be real, you need to be true. John the Baptist told the truth about other people. If you read the story about John the Baptist in the Gospel of Luke, Luke is the one who presents him in the most radical ways. Luke says that John the Baptist turned toward the people who were coming down into the Jordan River to be baptized, and he said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath that is to come? By the way, I've heard a rumor that Kirk is putting that passage on his Christmas cards that he's sending out this year. You can check with him. John doesn't mince words. John the Baptist doesn't mince words. He doesn't play around. John just tells the truth about people. He speaks truth to power. John the Baptist speaks truth to people in positions of power. Did you know that John the Baptist confronted King Herod? He went to King Herod, who was an egotistical maniac. He went to King Herod, the so-called king of the Jews. And John the Baptist said to King Herod, it is not right for you to be sleeping with your brother's wife. John the Baptist said to King Herod, you need to knock that off. You are not living according to the law of God. By the way, that little act cost him his life. John the Baptist was extraordinary. He spoke truth about himself. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess. He openly confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. So they asked him, who then are you? Are you Elijah? They're referring now to a tradition that was, that was contemporary among the Jewish community at this time, a tradition in which it was believed that before the great day of the Lord, the day of God setting things right, that Elijah would return before all of that took place. And so they asked him, are you Elijah? No, no, it's not who I am. 
Then are you one of the prophets? This is apparently referring to another tradition that, that any one of the prophets might return prior to the day of the Lord. So are you one of the prophets, they ask him. No. No. John just tells the truth. He's just a truth teller. Oh, I don't mean when I say this, I don't mean to suggest for a moment that John just sticks with the facts. You know, there are people who can tell the facts. They can tell one fact and then another, and then they can lay the facts out in a way that twists the truth. John is not one who just simply tells the truth, that tells the facts. John is uncommon, I think, in, his, in the way that he has been formed by truthfulness. Here's what I believe. I believe that John the Baptist had spent a lifetime drawing near to the heart of God. I think John the Baptist had drawn nearer to the heart of God than most human beings ever come. I think John the Baptist had gotten right up into the holy fires of the presence of God. He'd gone further than other people went. And I think John the Baptist was cleansed by, like gold that has been cleansed by fire. This is one who had walked with God. And because he had walked with God, he told the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I have been a fan of, uh, of legal thrillers for a long, long, long time, going way back to the time when I was a kid when, when I watched Ironside and was fascinated by the telling of the legal stories. And, and then when I discovered the, the, the novels of John Grisham and, 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 and then later some stories that came on the TV, I just love legal th thrillers. One of the things that you notice about legal th thrillers is that they often describe people who take the facts and they rearrange the facts in order to tell the story that they want to tell. They take the facts as it relates to the defense and they rearrange the facts so that it makes the, the defendant look innocent or the prosecutor takes the facts and arranges them in such a way that makes that the, the, the defendant look as though he's guilty. This is the practice in our world, but not John. That's not John the Baptist. That's not who he is. Because he has walked into the fire and he's been purified by the fire, John just tells the truth. Did you know that one of the, the themes that moves through the Gospel of John, now don't be confused, there's the Gospel of John that tells the whole story about Jesus, and there's John the Baptist who is one of the characters in the story. One of the themes in the whole Gospel of John is a courtroom theme. If you read it very, very carefully, you'll, you'll begin to recognize that the gospel of John is being told in such a way that there are, there are people who testify on behalf of Jesus, and there are prosecutors that testify against Jesus, and at the end of the reading of the gospel of John, we the readers are called on to make a decision whether we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The whole story is told as a legal drama. And one of the witnesses in the legal drama is John. John, who just keeps telling the truth. Not a small thing in our world. I was really struck recently by uh, something that was said by David Brooks, a commentator who writes for the New York Times, and he does a weekly program with, it, with NPR. And I was really struck by something that he said, sort of matter-of-factly. The exact words escaped me, but the sense of it was something like this. He said, I think we are living in a truth-challenged time. We don't know what truth is in our time, he said. 
I couldn't help but nod my head in agreement. This isn't new, by the way. It might be acute in the time in which we are living, but it isn't new. About 100 years ago in the 1920s, when uh, the discipline of psychology was still fairly new, and they were beginning to discover something that was called uh, suggestion. The idea of suggestion. The idea of suggestion in, in the new field of psychology 100 years ago said that if people can have something suggested to their subconscious minds, they will believe it to be true. It was a theory working among psychologists, and so advertisers got a hold of this language and this, this new understanding about psychology. Did you know that prior to this time, prior to the 1920s, if you were advertising for something that you had to sell, you, your advertising would, would simply be a description of where you could find it. Advertisement prior to this time was telling people where to find what they were already looking for. So if you were looking for some milk, you might put up an advertisement that would say, you can get the milk you're looking for here. If you were, if you were looking for tapes of U2, you'd have to wait 100 years to get those. But in the 1920s, it was discovered by advertisers that they could not only direct you to the things that you were already looking for, they could make you want them. A hundred years ago, they realized that if they did what they did very cleverly, if they snuck it in in the, in, in the back, back way, they could make you want the thing they were selling. Did you know that it was some years later, because of this understanding, that people would go to movie theaters and they'd sit down and they'd be watching a movie and all of a sudden they'd realize, I am incredibly hungry for some buttered popcorn and a soft drink. None of them knew that one frame, one little tiny frame in the middle of the movie had popped up a scene of popcorn and a fresh soda to drink, and only later did, did they realize that it was because they had been suggested, it had been hinted, it had been probed to their subconsciousness. You, you and I might look at these practices and we'd say they worked then and they work now to make us want things we don't need. They work. But is it true? You see, that's John the Baptist's concern. Not does a thing work, not can it be used to manipulate other people. John the Baptist just tells the truth. So the people who had been sent to John the Baptist, they finally said to him, so who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way of the Lord. Oh, friends, I hope you don't misunderstand me this morning. I don't mean to suggest for one moment that John wasn't important. Though I am so impatient to get on with the, to, to the word of Jesus, I don't want to suggest for a moment that John wasn't important. And I don't want to suggest for a moment that what he did was insignificant. When he was asked what his vocation was, what his role is, he said, my role is what Isaiah said. I am the voice of one calling out in the wilderness, make straight the paths of the Lord, make the way ready. John the Baptist's job was, to, was kind of like a highway crew that is, making, that is preparing the way for a great dignitary to come to this particular town. His job was to go out and make sure there were no curves that were too great. If the curves were too great and therefore unsafe, John the Baptist's job was to make them straighter. And if there were big ruts and potholes, John the Baptist's job was to fill them in. If there were great big bumps in the road, his job was to level them out. John the Baptist's job was 
to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. But I have a feeling, as important as that task was, that if you could have heard the tone of John's voice, it would have sounded like this. My job is just to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord because I'm not the Messiah and I'm not Elijah and I'm not one of the prophets. My job is just to prepare the way. Do you hear? There's no pretense with John the Baptist. There's no need to justify himself. There's no need to pretend to be something that he isn't. He just has his job to do and he does it. There's, there's no need to defend and justify himself. This is so unusual in our world. John is just simply a truth teller. Back in the 1980s when I was a student here at Anderson University at the School of Theology, I got a job at night as a security guard. It was because of my imposing frame, you understand. From midnight to 6 a.m., six days in a row and then six days off, I was a security guard. If any of you are familiar with Anderson University, I had my office in the lobby of what used to be called Co-Ed Hall. And so I sat there every night, and as students came in after hours, I would let them in when the doors were closed or walk them to the proper dorm and just make sure things were working properly. When I got my job, I was given a radio, a great big radio. And I was told by my boss, by the way, these were many years before cell phones, I was told my, my, by my boss, take good care of this radio. This is my only way of communicating with you when you're on that part of campus, and it's your only way of communicating with me. He said, this item is very, very expensive. Take care of it. This is for the safety of our students. So one night I was seated there in the lobby doing my work. It was time for me to get up and do my rounds to walk around the part of campus that I was responsible for walking. And I got up and I walked off without my radio. I didn't realize it at first. It was there on the table. I didn't realize that I'd left it there. I was out walking around. Suddenly I reached down to check for my, my radio and it wasn't there. And I realized what I'd done. I'd left it behind. And so I turned and I moved back as quickly as I could back to the lobby area. I made my way in and there was my boss. And my boss was looking at me, and he said, where's your radio? I've been trying to reach you, and I haven't been able to. Where's your radio? And my brain thought of 10,000 excuses in a matter of seconds. Space aliens, a, a, a really bad gang of people had come and attacked me. I thought through a thousand excuses in a matter of seconds. Before I could open my mouth and tell him what excuse was coming to my mind, he said, pulling it from behind him, he said, I have it right here. You left it on the table. He said, Steve, I've told you how important this is. Now, friends, I have to tell you, his directness saved me. Because I was ready to make all kinds of excuses of defending what had just happened. And his directness took all of that away. I was ready to come up with every imaginable excuse or narrative for why I didn't have my radio with me in that particular moment. And then there's John the Baptist. And then there's John. John just tells the truth. There's no need for pretense. There's no need for protection. 
John, who has walked closer to God than most people ever do, whose heart and mind has been purified as though by fire, John just speaks the truth. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize? If you're not the Messiah, if you're not Elijah, if you're not one of the prophets, if you're not some hoity-toity person, why in the world do you baptize? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He's the one who comes after me. The one the thongs of whose sandals I am not even worthy to untie. That's John. That's John the truth teller. No pretense, no protection, no self-justification. John just tells the truth. And you know what? I think I'm beginning to understand why it's important that we stop and linger with John on the way to Christmas. I think it's important to stop and linger with John on the way to Christmas because John the Baptist shows us what it is to be human. He doesn't tell us. He doesn't teach us. John the Baptist shows us what it is to be a human being. Oh, to be a human being is to be created in the image of God. I hope you know that. To be a human being is to be created with dignity. It is, to be, it is to be created with an extraordinary vocation to be a steward of God's good creation. I hope you know that. But John the Baptist teaches us, shows us, that to be human is to be breakable. To be human is to be fragile. John the Baptist shows us that to be human is to be small. To be human is to be humble. John the Baptist shows us that to be human, to be really human, is to be vulnerable. I think John the Baptist was formed in the reading of the Psalms. You know, Psalm 103 says, Psalm 103 that is laying out all of the list of the, of the, of the reasons, the attributes of God for which we can be, be grateful. Psalm 103 is listing all of the reasons, all of the ways in which we find God's help working within us. There is this break in the middle of Psalm 103 when all of a sudden the psalmist says, God knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. That's what we are. I think John the Baptist was uncommon in his capacity to embrace his smallness, his fragility, how breakable he was, how vulnerable he was, and how small he was. Later, by the way, in the same psalm, the psalmist would say, we are like the grass of the field. We're like the flowers. We're like the flowers of the spring. The flower becomes beautiful and extraordinary, and then comes the heat of summer and the strong winds of summer, and it just disappears, the psalmist says. And John the Baptist was uncommon because he understood how small and fragile and breakable and insignificant and vulnerable his own life was. You see, most of us, 
Most of us who have grown up in imperfect homes, most of us who have grown up in a terribly, terribly broken world, we find all kinds of ways to guard ourselves. Most of us find all kinds of ways to, to, to put on an armor to protect ourselves. Early in our lives, maybe we receive a lot of criticism, and so we put on an armor to protect ourselves from criticism. And, and early in our lives, we develop the mindset that we have to be better than others if we're going to be really significant, and so we build an armor around ourselves, a way of protecting ourselves. We find all kinds of ways throughout our lives to justify ourselves. We grow up in a world where it's not okay to be fallible and it's not okay to be broken. And so when we're confronted, we say, oh, no, 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 it wasn't me. It must have been him or it must have been her. We find all kinds of ways to justify ourselves. We put layers and layers and layers of armor around ourselves to protect ourselves from the truth that we're small, that we're fragile, that we're breakable that we're in need of forgiveness, that we're in need of love. We, we spend enormous energy wrapping around ourselves a great coat of arms and armor to protect ourselves. And here's the thing, friends, it does. An armor will protect us from the harsh words of others. A big armor will protect us from feeling small. A great big armor will protect us from the brutality of other people. But here's the problem with a great big armor that we've all put around ourselves. It also protects us from what we most long for. And what we most long for is joy and love. And you can't walk into the fullness of the depths of which you are loved if you're carrying around an armor. And that's why I think John the Baptist is so important. John the Baptist helps us on the way toward Christmas here in the season of Advent. He helps us. If we'll listen to John, we'll stand up and we'll start no noticing this armor that we're wearing. And we'll say, if I tell the truth, I'm not all that, am I? I'm not the most important thing that's ever walked the planet of the earth. I fail daily. I am breakable, and I am small, and I am needy and I am fragile, and when you've pulled all of the armor all of the way back, and you are exposed as a human, vulnerable, small, needy, brief, fragile, breakable, vulnerable, when you pull off all of that armor and stand as you are, as John the Baptist does, now you're ready for Bethlehem. Because Bethlehem is the place where you meet the God who is vulnerable in every imaginable way to the pain and brokenness of the human family. I know that there are a lot of people that go to Christmas without John the Baptist. They speed on their way there. The presents are still waiting under the tree, of course. They can go through the celebrations and sing the songs and so forth. But I just want to say to you, I don't think you will fully appreciate the one who is wrapped in swaddling cloths and laying in a manger. I don't think you will fully appreciate the vulnerability of God until you've taken your own armor off too. 